Welcome to the Soulless Church Podcast. Thanks for tuning in. Our passion as a church community is to see Jesus at the center of all things. For more sermon content and information, 16, check out soullesschurch.com. When Jesus came into the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, Who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? So they said, Some say John the Baptist, some Elijah, and others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. He said to them, But who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered and said, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus answered and said to him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I also say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you this morning for this moment, this weekly rhythm, but also this special time that we have to gather here around you, to hear from you, to worship you, and God, to um, be touched and, and, and ministered to by you. And so, Lord, that's our heart for this time. We, we don't, it's not worth gathering here each and every week just out of religious duty. We know what makes this moment worthwhile is the, is the promises that are in your word, that when two or more are gathered in your name, you're here waiting to work in the midst of us. And so we just want to come to you and reveal to you, God, willing hearts and willing, a willing, united desire for you to be here and minister to us now as we hear from your word. And so uh, as we do each week, we just invite your Holy Spirit to be the one speaking, to be the one working in our lives. We, we ask God today that you would speak to us and that you would give us ears to hear what you want to say to us. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You can take your seat. I'm not even interested in preaching right now. I'm more compelled to break this room down and set it up all over again, to be honest. That was great. Well, anyway, well, uh, as Kyle said, first of all, good morning. Welcome to Solace. My name is Andrew. It's a real joy to be with you guys here. And as Kyle mentioned, uh, it's not a typo. It's not a mistake uh, that we're here in the Gospel of Matthew. Um, and if it's your first time here, the reason we're saying that is because we have been for the past six months... Every Sunday here for the past six months, we have been walking through the Gospel of Mark. There's four biographies in the life of Jesus, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. We've been looking at the second one there, focusing on the way in which Jesus led and lived his life. And we just reached a unique point in the story of Mark. I just want to, want to remind you of this. We've studied 10 whole chapters. There's 16 total, which gives us six more. I did it. And where we're at in the story is really interesting. Mark chapter 1 through 10, which we just finished, is three years of Jesus' life. That's what we've studied. Did you guys know that? For the past six months, we just got done studying three years of Jesus' life and ministry. Uh, where we're going to pick up the first week of September, when we get back into Mark, is going to be in chapter 11, which begins the last half of the book. And it listen, it covers seven days in the life of Jesus. Isn't that interesting? So we've spent six months studying three years of Jesus' life, and we're going to close with about three months studying seven days. A three-month series 
on seven days of Jesus' life. So that's what's ahead of us as we get back into the Gospel of Mark. And so here for the time being, we are embarking on a little mini-series that we're calling Vision Interlude. Okay, Vision Interlude. Go ahead and jot that down. This is going to be a three-week moment for us to to do something that we, we do, I guess, quite often, maybe every year. We sort of circle the wagons and we stop and we ask, what's going on here? What are we doing? What's, what's God called us to? And so we really feel like this is a time that, that God's put on our heart to just put, press pause here in between this moment in Mark and take a moment here in August to share what we feel like God is calling us to as a church. This isn't informational and educational. This is richly theological and practical, all right? And so just so you know, that's what we're heading into Um, we're going to be studying the Bible, what the Bible has to say about the church and what he's called us to. It's a great moment for us to remember what church is all about and who we are and who we're called to be. It's also great for anybody who's newer to our church. Welcome to Solus. And that's actually the class that we have every month. It's a lunch called Welcome to Solus, and we don't have one for the month of August. We moved it to September with all the events going on, so... We just decided we'll take that class and make it a three-week series. No, uh, this is a great chance to get that kind of on-ramp into understanding a little bit more about what God has done here. For some of you, this content will be helpfully refreshing. For others of you, it'll be brand new. But for all of us, it's going to be enlightening and helpful. We even have some updated clarity as to what God has called us to. And so this morning, as we begin our vision vision interlude series here, we're going to do, again, this little mini-series on the mission and pillars of Solus. We want to begin this morning with our mission, all right? We want to start this morning with the mission of Solus Church. And when I say that word mission, and as I'm about to explain to you what even our mission statement is, I don't want you to hear this or see this in like a corporate strategy way. Like any business you go to today has some sort of mission statement. I want you to hear this and receive this in a biblical theology way. This is what the mission of the church is. And let me even back up for a second and answer what we mean by that. When we use the word mission, what's the mission of our community here? What we're seeking to answer is the question simply, what do we exist for? I mean, here we are gathered in a, as Russ so eloquently said, we're gathered here in a middle school cafeteria. Like, you really do that every week. Did you ever think you would do that as a middle school student who, like, couldn't wait to high school? One day, you'd be back in a middle school cafeteria every week. I mean, we do this each and every week. Why do we do What is this for? We're about to start our new group cycle in two weeks where we're going to gather in homes and coffee shops and, and different places all around the area. Why? <laughs> right? Like, what are we doing this for? This is something that I don't think we ask enough in the church. Because we assume we, we assume we all know the answer, and we assume that we're all living accordingly. But I've found, for me, it's one of the most helpful things we can regularly ask. Like, another way to ask this is, what are we doing here? Like, literally, what are we doing here? What is this all about? The danger of not asking this question is the danger of simply doing without thinking. Or worse yet, doing without seeing clearly. We need fresh eyes to make sure that this isn't just a checked box, a religious routine, a Sunday morning Christian thing. We've got to have fresh eyes. It reminds me of just this 
past Saturday. Yesterday was my wife's birthday, Brittany's birthday, and um, she's 23, and she's just so excited to be my wife. That last part's really important, I guess. Um, and yesterday, one of her birthday presents was she went out to go shopping with her sisters while um, Roberto and I, by Roberto and I, I mean mostly Roberto and I kind of watched and helped, uh, cleaned out the garage. Brittany wanted it to be, it wasn't in good shape, which is actually kind of a gift to me, but uh, she wanted it to be cleared out the whole workout area. And so um, it was really helpful for me. I've cleaned out that garage multiple times, but to have Roberto cleaning it out, I recommend you do this. Have someone who's not you come into your garage and take inventory of the stuff you have in there. It'll hurt you a little bit. It'll hurt your feelings. It's like, that's a family heirloom. It's like, those are aluminum wool pads. Why do you... What are you scrubbing, okay? So that's what was so helpful about Birdo is like in cleaning out the garage, which I've done a, a dozen different times, there, I have this one like, man, do you have like the junk drawer bin that just has all this stuff that you're like, you never know when I might need that thermal, you know, moisture detector or whatever else weird stuff I had in there, door jam thingies and, and whatnot. I mean, it was just like, and there's something about it. I think it's like a pride thing, you know? It's like I have all these gadgets, you know, and tools. Um, but Berto, like, we, he was helping us consolidate, and one of the ways we did that was just kind of go through and go, you don't actually need this. Like, we can throw this out. We can throw this out. And I think that's what, listen, I think that's, theologically speaking, I think that's what this question is leading us to do with the church. How many things do we have that if Jesus were, were to step into the world of church, he'd be like, why are you holding on to that? And we need this work, right? We need, in our lives as well, this is practical for our lives individually, for the Holy Spirit to come along and go, hey, I need to clean some unnecessary clutter out of our lives in the church. This is something that we as leadership are constantly having to ask God to do. Do you know what I'm saying? Like what's here that's just collecting dust and is not a part of the work that you're trying to do, and it might hurt a little bit because we've held on to it for so long, I mean, this is what church has always done, is they've done things this way, with that form, and Jesus is like, it's, it has no use for what I'm doing, and I'm doing a new thing, and it's a fresh thing, and that requires a willingness to let go, and a willingness maybe to grab on in a fresh way to the things he's called us to. Now, in light of this idea, um, something that we, and also something we've recognized for our church, we realize that as a church plant, okay, you know, I said last week, I'm not sure when like a church plant becomes a planted church. I think we're there. We're a church. Anybody here part of Souls Church? Cool, we're a church. Okay, we did it. All right. Um, but we're about four and a half years into this thing. And one thing that we've recognized as a church plant is that church planting provides a unique opportunity to start from scratch in a lot of ways. It's almost like to whom much is given, much is required in the church. Why? Because what's been given in a church plant? Well, you've been given a clean slate, right? You've been given, in a sense, an opportunity to start from scratch. And, and that is an opportunity that's really connected to responsibility to go, we, we need to make sure that we're not just doing what we've always done, but we're stopping. We're saying, God, have your way. Let your will be done in solace as it is in heaven. May soulless church, here's been our heart, may soulless church reflect your heart for the church. Did you hear that? That's really our heart from the very beginning. Now, as we've been on, uh, I should say, like, it's been five years since we launched out to uh, join in on what God's doing here in Boca and, and to plant this church. And it has been a prayerful journey, a long journey of really asking God to help us with 
how we can articulate, what's the language to articulate what he's up to here in this community as we're building this thing. It's, it's, it's uh, been called the work of visioneering. Visioneering is where when you take the long road to really discover, and this is important for us to do in all of our lives, what exactly is God calling you to and what, is, what exactly does that look like? And I'll just say that for us, I'm not sure if this works the same in your life, but at least in my life in our church, clarity for this has come in stages. There's so much pressure when you're starting a church to have it all figured out because you're trying to impress everybody, you know what I'm saying? It's like we're a new church, we got it all figured out. And so you, you like come up with all this language and you're like, you figured the whole thing out already. And, and so usually what you do is you just kind of settle for some placeholder language things. You're like, this will work for now, okay? And there's just so much of that. And one, one thing we had to learn to do is just kind of say, Jesus, we have some ideas of what you've spoken to us, but we're just going to start with that and let you write our story. Just let you write our story and not hold on too much. And, and it's been really cool because now four and a half, five years into our church plant, Part of our visioneering is just this, looking around and going, God, what are you doing? What are you up to? Because that's really the idea, right? Not to like start a vision and ask God to bless it. Do something and say, God, you, would re- you should really get behind this, Lord. This is some great church stuff. But the great task of every generation, as Henry Blackaby says, is to find out what God is doing and join in. That's the task of all of our lives. God, what are you up to? What are you doing? And then help us get an eye for it. Give us fresh eyes to see it. And that's really what we feel like the Lord has done progressively. I kind of feel like when it comes to the Solus's vision for what we're doing here, I feel a little bit like the blind man that Jesus progressively gave sight to. You remember that story we studied in the Gospel of Mark? Jesus gives him sight and he was blind, but then he started to see, but it wasn't perfectly clear yet. And so it's like, well, can you see? He's like, well, I see Men like trees walking. And the disciples are like, I don't think it's fully there yet. Let's keep it going. Let's get another heal. And so Jesus touches the guy's eyes again, and he sees clear as day. And I'm not saying that we've come to see clear as day, but the work that God's done in our community has been this progressive work of his spirit to further clarify what he's up to. And I just want to say, like, this is not our stuff that you're listening to. As Russ mentioned, if this is your church, this is stuff that God has for you and me. This is not Andrew's vision. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, this is, this is what God has for our community. And so let's begin, as I mentioned, with the mission. So we've sought to, to ask God to help us answer this question. Who is Solus Church? What are we called to be? And I don't know if this will change next year. I'm really praying it doesn't, okay? So we can actually memorize some stuff here, all right? And let me say this too. Not much has changed. We're not changing direction. I think we're going further deeper into where God's called us to. Here's some language for you, okay? For those of you who like words, I like them. Here's some, here's some for those of you who like words, this is a real intelligent church, okay? <laughs> they like words of that church. That's a good thing. Um, this is what we want to say is the mission of Solus. This is what we believe we exist for. This is why on earth we're here. About six years ago, my wife and I, in, in unity with a couple other people, caught a vision to start from scratch and build a church from the ground up, to plant a church. And this is why. This is the task that God has given Solus to be. First, our, vision is to, our mission is to be something, to be a Jesus-centered church, first and foremost. To be, in our essence, a Jesus-centered people that produce something, that make Jesus-centered disciples. With all that we're doing, if this isn't happening, we're failing. I mean that. 
This is what God has called us to do. He's called us to be something, a Jesus-centered church, and he's called us to do something. And that's to reproduce and make Jesus-centered disciples of Jesus. That's what we would hope would happen in our church and in your lives as well. Let's back up and talk through this. The first task we've been given is to be something. Uh, if, you're, uh, if you're even just relatively new to Solus, you know that something really central to our heart as a church is for Jesus to be at the center. Like this is our mantra. This is some of the, the central language God's given us that we're building the church around. And, and uh, it certainly starts here. Um, I, I think this is the most important thing to establish first and foremost. Uh, our number one goal before anything is to be a Jesus-centered church and be reminded, let me say this, of why first and foremost the church exists. Like what is the essence and nature of, of church. What an overused, misunderstood word, church. Now, the best place to understand anything in Scripture, it's, it's in interpretation, it's called the law of first mention. So the law of first mention basically says, if you're looking to understand mercy, where's the first time that the word mercy is used in the Bible? Go to the origin, and you'll get kind of the most insight to it. So, for example, worship. You know the first time worship is used in the Bible? It's Abraham by faith, offering his son Isaac as a sacrifice to the Lord. That's not like a song and a dance, is that? That's a wholehearted trust and surrender to the living God. So the law of first mention, like, and it applies to anything. Like, if you want to know about surfing, leave Florida, okay? Like, get out of here. Go to Hawaii, okay? Go to, yeah, go to Hawaii. That's where you should go to learn about surfing. I don't have any more illustrations. I'm just going to keep talking, okay? You get the big idea. Now, the law of first mention would lead us to Matthew 16, where, where Isaac just read these verses, where Jesus, for the first time, mentions his church. All right, the context is beautiful. We read it in Mark as well. Jesus is asking his disciples, what are men saying about me? What's the talk of the town about Jesus? What are the, what are the common ideas and perceptions of who I am? And they, they gave kind of the cultural ideas. Well, some say you're John the Baptist. Some say you're Elijah. I mean, every generation has its own cultural views of who Jesus is and what he came to do. And then he turns to his disciples. He asks them the same question that we must answer. He says, who do you say that I am? It's good to have a grasp on what culture is saying about Jesus. What's most important is who do you know him to be? Who is Jesus? Peter, of course, speaks first and says, you are the Christ. You're the Messiah. You're the son of the living God. And Jesus says, Peter, you nailed it. Bullseye, and it's not of your own wisdom, okay? Your own flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father who's in heaven. That's a point in and of itself. How do we know who Jesus truly is? It's a work of the Holy Spirit to open our eyes. And then Jesus says, spot on, and then he says, I say to you, you are Peter, and on this rock, this profession of faith, I will build my church. And the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. And I will give you to the disciples the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loose in heaven. What kind of authority is Jesus giving his disciples here to open and close doors? It's the authority of the gospel that they're going to take from town to town to city to city. This promise that Jesus makes is going to be so effective that a bunch of people are going to be gathering in a middle school in 2022 in a church. This is amazing. At this point in time, especially in the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus has been emphasizing the cause of one, 
one particular thing, and it's the kingdom. This is such a theme of the Gospels. Jesus is the king who brings the arrival of God's kingdom. The king is here, and he's reestablishing his kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. And the powers that be here on earth, though they might still be fighting and winning in some ways, their end is near, and the king will reign supreme forever. He will reign over his enemies. The king is here embodied in Jesus. And this has kind of been his theme, the kingdom, the kingdom, the kingdom, the kingdom. Now, a shift begins to happen in the story where Jesus goes from the kingdom to now the church. Isn't this interesting? You you know, you read the rest of the Bible, and the kingdom of God is mentioned, but the emphasis is largely on the church, the church, the church. And and you connect it here to this passage here. Jesus is talking about what's really amazing, first of all. He's talking about the unstoppable power of his kingdom. Think about that for a second. Like, that beats whatever super team you got behind for that season, all right? Eventually, they lost. They traded the guy. Okay, Thank- thankfully, the kingdom of heaven will never trade Jesus, okay? We've got, like, our all-star for life. It's an unstoppable force. The kingdom of heaven is advancing. And Jesus has been emphasizing this, but now he talks about the vessel of his kingdom. He says... As I ascend into heaven, I'm going to send my Holy Spirit upon the disciples. We read about this in Acts 2. And the kingdom of God is now going to advance, notice this, through the church. So the church exists. We're like this, um, this, this army, this, this outpost of God's kingdom here on earth. And the kingdom of God is advancing in our neighborhoods. The kingdom of God is advancing in Boca Raton. The kingdom of God is advancing in your workplace. The kingdom of God is advancing everywhere your foot steps. The kingdom of God advances through the church. Isn't that beautiful? We are this outpost of the kingdom in enemy territory, bringing the light and pushing back on darkness. And isn't that like, I'm not here to condone tattoos or like discriminate against them, but if you were going to get one, okay? And the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. Jesus is saying here, the most evil force in the world. There's evil, by the way, in the world. Are we aware of this? Do we have to start there? We know that there's evil. We know that there's more than dysfunction and learning it. Like, there's real evil. There's a thing called sin, and there's a thing called evil. Paul says behind all of that evil is a force, a spiritual force, that you can't see with your eye. You can see it manifested in the world around you. You can see it manifested on the news or how we tend to treat each other. Because evil's like a lot easier to see when it's out there, right? It's so hard to see evil in the mirror, you know what I mean? It's like, I've just, just got some issues, okay, I'm all right. But the truth of it is this, this is the force of darkness in our world. And its embodiment, its, its, its backing is hell. That's what Jesus says here. I mean, the most evil force in the world is the force of hell that's wreaking havoc in the world we're in today. And maybe you've seen that in a friend, in a relationship, in your own life. I mean, have you ever seen hell on earth? You see darkness show its face, and it's ugly. It's painful. It comes in the form of disease and trauma and sin and brokenness. And Jesus says that force doesn't stand a chance. The force of the kingdom of of darkness doesn't stand a chance to the unstoppable force of the kingdom through the church. 
Like, I just think we need to get this super discouraged Christian, it's a post-Christian culture, terrified mindset out of our hearts. Christians, we're not on the defensive. Think about this. We are a part of the advancement of God's kingdom. And by the way, the good news of that is it doesn't depend on me and you. Jesus says, I'm the one building the church. I'm building you and I'm building through you and I'm building for me and my glory. And so often we can have this mindset of like, the darkness, it's everywhere. Hello, darkness, my own. Right? It's like, and, and we could become, we could become, listen, overwhelmed with the darkness, not even just around us, the darkness in our own lives. What if we began to agree with Jesus? And we said, Jesus, I mean, wouldn't you get more excited about church? You know what we're a part of here? We're a part of a work you're doing to advance your kingdom that has no opponents. That's life-changing. I'm not saying there's not obstacles, okay? Unless we make this, you know, butterflies and lollipops, okay? There are obstacles. There are enemies. There are spiritual forces that trip us up and resist the work of God. But this is the thing that we lean on. Jesus is building his church. He's advancing his kingdom through his church. Now, I want to say this, that when Jesus uses here the word church, the law of first mention, the first time Jesus mentions it here, he'll use it again in Matthew 18. Um, this is not a new word to the disciples. You know what I'm saying? It's not like they're around wondering, like, what are we going to be called? What's the name? And then Jesus drops it, church. They're like, oh, I've never heard that word before. I like that, the church. I was thinking of, like, the God squad. That's kind of what I was thinking, but the church, okay, or the church. The Greek word used here for church is the word ekklesia, and we've sanctified it and baptized it, but it's a richly just historical word that simply means assembly, the assembly, the, 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 the gathered together ones. You might have like an elder council in a village, and they would come together, and that's the assembly. It's a community of people that gather together, identifying together around a central thing. What's so significant here is not the noun, it's the possessive adjective, my church. You see that? I want to say, too, that I googled what a possessive adjective is, okay? Because I was going to call it a possessive pronoun, but I think it's a possessive adjective. The big idea here is Jesus is saying this. There's been a lot of assemblies, but nothing is going to compare to my assembly, to my people. And the language Jesus is using here, it's the language of ownership. Do you see that? The church. So as we think of whatever we've, listen, whatever we've made church to be, let's just take that for a second and measure it against what Jesus is saying here. In his mind, the church is something that he is in ownership of. He possesses the church. In fact, we get more insight to this in the book of Acts chapter 28. Look at this scripture. In Acts chapter 28, Paul is, this has been called the first ever pastor's conference. Paul is ministering to the elders, and the, the conference is happening on the beach of Miletus. That's a pastor's conference you sign up for. It's like, it's a, it's a beach conference? Who's speaking? Paul? All right. So, pastor's conference on the beach. Uninclusive, all right? Now, Paul is encouraging these shepherds with the posture they're to have before God and towards the church. And he says this to them. So this is great advice for leadership and ministry. He says, take heed first to yourselves. Isn't that a great thing? Stop for a second and take an honest look in the mirror. 
And if you're seeing yourself too based upon your performance in a lowly sense, remember, listen, you're not your performance. You, who, you are who you are through Christ. Unless you think you're the awesome sauce because of how big your church is, how many followers you got, and how many laser lights you got going on, okay? Take heed to yourself. Take heed to yourself. Have a proper view of yourself. Don't put yourself lower than the gospel places you. Don't put yourself higher than the gospel places you. Take heed to yourself. Remember who you are apart from Jesus. Remember who you are in Jesus. Take heed to yourself. Step one. Step one. Okay, any pastor, elder, we say this a lot here at Souls, like um, the highest ranking pastor in the church is still just another member of the body. Jesus is the head. Amen? Amen. Okay, that, you know what that means? That means that I could never, here in this place, I could never share something with you that I myself don't desperately need to hear. That also means that I can be ministered to as the pastor. Whoa, wait a minute. I thought you are the minister. You're the one to... Pol- you know, Scripture says this about the body. Let not one part of the body say to the other, I have no need of you. Can I just say that's, that's no different for the pastor? So like... If you have something to encourage me with, and it's more than just like, hey, your sermon was too long, I welcome you. (laughs) I need to be in community. Elders, pastors, leaders, they need the ministry of the body in as much as they need to lead it. So Paul's like, remember who you are. Take heed to yourself. Now notice this. And to the flock, and to the sheep, the church, among which, notice that, among which, you're one of them, you see that? The Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit installs men in leadership. The Holy Spirit calls men to serve God. And the Holy Spirit has called you, has made you overseers, notice this, to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. This is one of the most richly theological scriptures about the nature of the church. We see the nature of the church is that, here's key, it belongs to God. Jesus said, I will build my church. The church doesn't belong to any one man. It doesn't matter whose name is the CEO on the 501c3 status. The church belongs to Jesus. He rightfully owns the church because only Jesus paid for the church in his blood. Jesus' church. He's the senior pastor. He's the leader. He's the head. He's the bridegroom. He's the shepherd, the chief shepherd. It's his church. Now, we get a fuller understanding of the church. It's the people, notice this, who he purchased with his own blood. Is that what you think of when you think of church? Let me give you, let me start here. Here's a working definition of what I would say is the church. Like, what is soulless church? Well, it's a lot of things, but let's say in truth what it is. You can write this down. When we use the word church, if we agree with Jesus, here's the first thing that should come to our minds. The church is the redeemed community of those who forever belong to Jesus. That's the church. The church is the redeemed community of those who forever belong to Jesus. Now, the reason why it's helpful to come back to center here is because of all the things that we can tend to make church instead of this, first and foremost. And by the way, they're usually not bad things, like if you're cleaning out the garage of the church, it's not the aluminum wool pad. For, okay? It's something important and valuable, 
But it's something that we, that, that's a good thing that we've made a God thing. And, and so here's how I'll say this. I thought of these four things. Like, these are four things that we tend to sum the church up in, okay? And I would say that the church isn't less than these things, okay? Like, you need a place to be the church, okay? But the church isn't a place. Church isn't building. Church is people, right? You need, you need some program. In, like, we have a program to Solus. Like, you, like, we planned out actually what the service would look like today. And we have... We have, we have We've, we've organized ways for you to get connected to discipleship and grow in community. But the church is not merely a program that you show up to. That's a part of it. It's not the whole of it. We don't think that way about church. You know, by the way, when you think this, I'll get into the last one. Last one, we'll speak to this. But third, the church isn't less than a person, a pastor. I'm thankful for that. You know, it's like, good, I'm glad, right? But the church is more than that. These are all the things that we can make church. We think of church, we think of a place. We think of church, we think of how's their program? How's their children's program? How's their youth program? How's their men's program? Women's program? Music program, okay? How's this? How's that? And listen, or we go, oh, Soul Church? Oh, Andrew Lundy, I've heard of him. I've seen him. Oh, this guy, this person. Not the church. Not the church. Like, like, my heart for solace is that we're a church that's known for the preaching of the word, but not the preacher of the word. Like, we need to be known for some solid things, but we're not, it's not a person. And, and this kind of all ties into the last idea. Church isn't a product. Jesus didn't shed his blood for a product to be consumed. This contractual relationship that we can have with church where, and don't hear me wrong, there's seasons where God calls you out of one community into another. But when we talk about church, we can't think of this thing that I'm consuming, I'm a consumer, and the church offers the product. And, and lest I just like approach the body as the ones that are guilty of this, most of our church growth structures are built around this desire in people. Like, how do we keep the consumer happy? And that's just not going to produce a resilient disciple. That, like, I don't think consumer-happy church is going to last in 20 years. Maybe 10. Maybe now, hopefully now. You know, like, this idea that this is not whatever we're making church to be, it cannot become, it cannot become more than what Jesus says it is. We start here. The church is the redeemed community of those who have forever belong to Jesus. Now, let's, let's talk about this. This means, first and foremost... Um, and there's a lot of theology that goes into this, ecclesiology, the study of the church. But this means that the church takes visible forms, but the church also has an invisible reality. Not everybody who comes to church is the church. And also, not everybody comes to church. Okay, come to church. All right. So sometimes it's an invisible reality. It's not always seen. But we, we say this, that first, this is something really beautiful about this. And we see this especially in Revelation, that this redeemed community has one, there's two, two main components to it. The first component is that it has a universal, multicultural, historic reality to it. When you read Revelation, do you know what you see? You don't see segregated churches, you know, lined up according to who had the cooler name and the better program, okay? You see one man, one people, one body of all generations, of all languages, of all cultures gathered around the throne of Jesus. I, I mean, I can't wait to sit down with John Wesley and the Apostle Paul 
and Peter. I, can't, I get Peter first, by the way. When we get there, I get him first. I'm in line. I'm in front first, Peter. Like you think about the nature of the church. The church, this is a beautiful reality. The church is American. The church is African. The church is Latin. The church is Asian. Multicultural, multidimensional. Now, it's this true reality. Like the second you receive Christ and you are redeemed, which means to be bought back, through the blood of Jesus, from death into sonship, the moment that happens, guess what? Whether you've signed up, you've joined the church. Welcome to the church. How do I access the church? Through a membership class? No, through the blood of Jesus. That's how you access the church. Now i got to come over here now because it's really popular today to say, this isn't church. We are the church. Okay. I was throwing Frisbee the other day with my dog, and I met a Christian. That was church. We are the church. And, and, and uh, there's a danger here. We can get so zoomed in that we lose sight of the big picture, and then we can become so macro that we don't read our Bibles and zoom in and see the day-to-day picture. So the church in Scripture, and, and really, let me say this, like today, really what that means when someone says, like, I don't need to go to church because I am the church, that's re- usually, and I'll, I'll actually like, share like, what I believe is like a compassionate view of this because I felt this, it's someone who says, I struggle to trust that. I struggle to trust that. I struggle to trust that it's authentic. I struggle to trust those leaders. Or, and I don't even know that guy with that microphone, but I, he, just that. Do you know what I'm saying? And I struggle to trust what I've, what I've been burned by or I've struggled. I struggle to trust, and I get that. And that's a loss for the church in a lot of ways. Um, on the other hand, you have, you have verses like Romans 13 that calls Christians to submit to a local church. Qualified godly leadership, servant leaders. Um, like, this is, what, this is what Paul's talking about here, right? He's, he's talking, these are pastors. There's, these are not pastors of the universal church. We're just all here, kumbaya. It's all one church everywhere. We don't ever gather because we are the church. No, these are pastors of different local churches. So the church has a, has a universal reality. All time, all cultures. We see that displayed in, in, in eternity. The church also has a local reality, a local context, a local expression. Here we are as a local church in Boca. And you see this all throughout the scripture. You see the church, which is at Galatia. The church, which is at Ephesus. We should have called Solus the church at Boca, but I blew it, okay? Anyway, the church, which is at Boca Raton. Welcome, so glad to have you. Have you been to our Welcome to the Church at Boca Raton class yet? Okay. Now, this is so important that we come back to this reality of what the local church is. Essentially, it's, it's a local expression of a community of people who forever belong to Jesus. And I just want to stop for a minute and say this. Like, our biggest priority for you is not that you are a part of Solus Church. It's that you're a part of Jesus' church. There's a lot in scripture about the gathering of God's people called the church that has divisions in it amongst those who are the true church and those who aren't. And I just want to encourage you today that you can know that you are part of the family of God, not based on your performance, not based on your church record, not how many credits, right, Russ, that you've gotten in church through serving. But you could know, you could know that you know that you belong to Jesus because you look to the cross where he purchased your life and you say, that's enough. Have mercy to me, a sinner. You died for my sins, and I receive you into my heart and life. That's salvation. It's not performance-based. That's our number one priority. And then we have, again, that local expression of that. 
this is the number one priority for us. Um, so like, it's, in it's, a, it's intimidating to like, launch out to start a church. It's even more intimidating when you're like, we're starting Jesus' church. Like, that's heavy. So there's a, there should be weight to that. Like, what are we doing? You know what I'm saying? We shouldn't get too used to church that we're not like having some reverence for what's going on here. Eternity is heavy. You know what I mean? It should be heavy. Eternity matters. And so we've made an effort to really, we, we wanted to, I'm not saying that we are nailing this, but I just want to say here at Solus, we are an imperfect church. Welcome to another imperfect local church that, that, will, that will hurt you with imperfect people, but we are setting our sights to be a Jesus-centered church. I just want to say, I'm not saying we're there, but I'm saying you can have my word that at Solus, the thing we're fighting for is to keep Jesus at the center of his church. We're fighting for that. You know what that means? That, that means you can call me out when we're not. That means that's what we're fighting for together. A Jesus in our church. You know, it's why, we, um, it's why we gather like we do every Sunday. Did you know this? Like, we gather in here, we fellowship, and then we begin worship in song. Okay? Practically, this is why we do that. Okay? It's, um, that's not, the music in the beginning it's not like we got in a room and we're like, you know what? The best time for the music would probably be the beginning because people are getting coffee and they could come in and then get their coffee and sit and then like worship a little. And then, the, you know, and it like warms people up for the message, warms them up, okay? It's like a little microwave for the sermon, okay? We start our service singing to Jesus because Bible, the Bible tells us to. To sing to the Lord a new song. To even do it with instruments. And by the way, that's not the job just of the worship. It's the church. We come in here and we sing. Why? Because Jesus is worthy of worship and we're here for him and not us. So if people like, this has happened. We're um, on campus here. They have all sorts of different activities going on. This isn't our church building. In case you wonder, this isn't actually Soul's Church's building. And there's like tennis. Sometimes I'm here and I see kids out there swinging a nice backhand on the tennis courts. And I'm like, wow, it's good. Oh, wait. Um, there's baseball games that go on. Every couple times a year, if you're interested in this, there's an orchid sale. <laughs> People have gone into the orchid sale, and they're like, is this, is this orchid church? What is this? <laughs> you worship, you get a flower? This is nice. People have come in here, and they're like, where's the orchids? <laughs> <laughs> and I, I love when that happens. People come in here and they go, what are these people doing? And you say, they're singing to Jesus. Why are they here? They're here for Jesus. What a testimony. We don't sing at the beginning of the service because it's pragmatic and practical. We sing at the beginning of the service because it's theological. Because God is worthy of our praise. After worship, we share about ways that you can get connected to what God's doing here in our community. And then we open up the Bible. And we read it and we allow it to read us. And we spend a prolonged amount of time here on a Sunday morning allowing the Bible to inform and transform our lives. Because we're centering not just around the worthiness of Jesus, but we're centering around his word. We spend this much amount of time studying the Bible because, listen, we so believe that Jesus' words are that much worth listening to. I need his word. I need more than my own insight. I need more than my own ideas. I need more 
You and I, we, we need more. How can a young man cleanse his way? By taking heed according to your word. We open up the Bible. We say, God, speak to us. Don't just give us a little dessert, but feed our hearts. Feed our lives with your word. We do it around the worth of Jesus, the word of Jesus. And then when we're done here, we end the service with a reflective song. Sometimes, depending on how... Oh, how... Um, how timely we've been. And the reason for that is we don't want the, the word, Jesus said a parable that the word can get sown in your heart and then it can just get plucked out the moment you leave. And so we, we don't want God's word to go in one ear, out the other. We want to stop before we leave and we want God's word to marinate in our heart. We want God's word to take root in our lives. Like, Take advantage of that moment at the end of service. We have prayer counselors available every week for you to say, God was speaking to me, and now I want, I want that prayed into my life. That's what we seek to do each week. We center ourselves around the worthiness of Jesus. We center ourselves. That's why we're here. We're not here to hear a cool. We're here to center ourselves around the word of Jesus. We center ourselves around the work of Jesus in our lives. And then we get into groups. We get into people's homes. We open up our houses. We, we, we press through that awkward stage of, like, making community happen. We keep showing up when it's messy and ugly and hard and difficult and horribly inconvenient in the middle of our week. Why? Because I need to be centered around the will of Jesus, and I need community to do that. So you see this? It's all about keeping Jesus at the center of what we're doing. It's all about this. That's why we're here. That's why we gather. And I want to say that this is what we see depicted, by the way, in the Bible, not just in, in Acts, but if you look in the Old Testament, this is really interesting. The way that God had Israel orient themselves in the wilderness was that they were to camp out, it's really beautiful, around the tabernacle, right? God is at their center. He's why they exist. He's the reason for their existence in the first place, and he's why they gather together each and every week. He is at their center. You fast forward to the book of Revelation. It's a one-man center stage show. Jesus is at the center. His throne is the focal point. And that, that historic church we talked about, is, they're not gathered around a pastor. They're not gathered around a product. They're gathered around Jesus. They're gathered around him. And so... One of my favorite pastor, authors, and surfboard shapers, Britt Merrick, he said that the church of Jesus is meant to exist as a historic continuation of God being at the center of his people. And, listen to this, as a prophetic foretaste of heaven. That's what we're after. People come in here and they go, all these people, they're so different. They look different, they talk different, they dress different. It's a foretaste of heaven. What's the center stage here? It's Jesus. It's Jesus. The mission of Solus is to be a Jesus-centered church that makes Jesus-centered disciples. As a Jesus-centered church, gathering each week in this way, what we're seeking to do is also be about a Jesus-centered mission. One of the most practical ways that we as a church can be Jesus-centered is to center our ministry, to center what we're doing here around the goals that Jesus gives his church. That's step one, right? 
How, do we, how can we be Jesus-centered? As a church? I mean, we're talking a lot about Jesus-centeredness. It's our mantra, solus Christus. We have all these words. But like, when does, how does that hit the floor? You know what I mean? We could talk about Jesus-centeredness till we're blue at the face, but what does that practically look like? And again, I don't know if there's a more practical way for us to be Jesus-centered than to center our ministry goals, to center what we're doing around what he's called us to do. Well, what has Jesus called us to do? That's a good question. Um, and I'm really thankful. As much as it takes a lot of work to come up with a mission, you're not coming up with a mission when you're starting a church. You're asking God, how do we communicate the mission? It's actually, I love this. It's been well said that Jesus' church doesn't have a mission. Jesus' mission has a church. We're just here to be like, what are, you, what are you doing? Now, we see the mission. You guys know this, don't you? Matthew 28. This is um, the, the mission of the church, and it's given to, these are the disciples, but they're really the first ever church planners. These are the, this is the, the first core team of a church plant in Jerusalem, okay? And Jesus is commissioning them. He says, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all the things that I've commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. This is the instructions that Jesus has gave the first church planters, this is the mission that has sustained the church for the past 2,000 years. If you today have professed faith in Jesus, it's because you are on the end of this long chain link of disciples, making disciples, making disciples, making disciples. Maybe right now you can think about whether it's your family, people that, that led your family to the Lord, the people that led you to the Lord. Kind of goes back to what Jesus said where he's like, I'm going to build my church, Right? In the, in the early church, there was all this fuss around the, the movement, the Jesus revolution that was happening. And all the Jews were like in and out, like outcrying, like, oh, it's so bad. They're everywhere. These Christians are turning the world upside down. And a wise Jewish rabbi named Gamaliel said, well, here's how you could know if the Jesus movement is just another cultural movement. We have those in our society today, too. Another, remember Coney 2012? You remember that? Anyway, sorry. Gamaliel says, remember Coney? I did not have that in my notes. Okay. Jesus says, here's how you could know whether or not that movement has God behind it. The question is whether or not it endures. And, and when you look at the history of the church, the church has had her low moments, her quiet moments. The church has endured some stuff. I think we're heading into a season here in our culture where we're, if we're going to be the church, it's, it, it, being the church is synonymous with having to endure some things, personally, culturally. I have good news. Jesus is going to build his church. That's us. I don't know how you feel today. Maybe you feel defeated by darkness. Can I remind you? Jesus is building his church. Even in your life, you are his church. We're his church. He's building us up, growing us. Maybe you've felt broken down lately. And you just, maybe, maybe this is good because you're the one building your life. Maybe right now you just go, Jesus, I'm done. It's your power that endures. I want you to build my life. I want to follow you. 
Um, next week, we're going to unpack this a little bit further and talk through what this looks like for us as a community. Uh, but I want to say, as I go back to the mission that we have, we want to be a Jesus-centered church, and, and the o- overflow of that is we're here to make Jesus-centered disciples. Like, what God has called us to do here is to lead, is to model and lead you and I into a Jesus-centered life, a Jesus-centered life. You know, and the reason why we use that language, Jesus-centered, Jesus-centered, sure, it can be catchphrasy, but we really believe the Lord has given it to us, like he's told us that's what we're to be about. And can I say, too, we really believe it's best-case scenario. Jesus at the center sounds good, but when Jesus at the center is experienced, it's best case. I can't think of something I want for your and my life more than a Jesus-centered life. When you look at the story of Scripture, you look at the history, I mean, this is how God created us to function. We know this. When God created man, humanity was made to flourish and function with God at our center. That's That's how you were created. You weren't created to be at the center of your own life. That's where things break down. You were created to have Jesus at the center of your life, to have a relation, to, to listen, to be centered around a relationship with God, independence upon Him as the giver and sustainer of everything. Now, every ounce of brokenness that we see in the world today, okay, our own lives included, is the result of our rebellion against that created order, isn't it? Like, you know this, I know this. Where's my dysfunction from? A lot of my off-centeredness. <laughs> and, and it's just this tendency. I mean, this is the fall of man. This is what we're stuck in. This is what Jesus came to reverse through the cross. Jesus came as God in the flesh, as the sin-bearer of the world, to go to the cross. And it's like on the cross, Jesus took upon himself our off-centeredness. He took that upon himself, all that that entails. Father, why have you forsaken me in off-centered life? so that you and I could be reconciled back to God forever. He promises eternal life to those who come to him. And then Jesus takes it a step further. He goes, and I have abundant life for you here and now as you center your life around me. This is really the place where everything flourishes from.